This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Greg Bench, Trey Whetstone, Amy Swan, Gilman Joel Robertson, and Blake from Midweek Matinee. Thank you all, now on to the episode. Welcome to episode 57 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson, the son, resident soprano of Verity's Father and Son Watch Horror Movies podcast. <laughs> Are you going to sing later? Uh, I don't know. I can if you want me to. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure that the listeners will appreciate that, though. <laughs> Uh, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And for this episode, we are continuing or really wrapping up our, our tribute to the great Dario Argento, who turns 80 the month we record this. And we're ending our tribute right with his 1987 film, Opera. IMDb synopsis reads, a young operata is stalked by a deranged fan bent on killing the people associated with her to claim her for himself. What do you think? Uh, I mean, without spoilers, that, that kind of works. I don't know about a young, about a deranged fan. Uh, that, that part's not entirely accurate, but without spoiling, I, I think they did a pretty good job. All right. So when did you first see opera? Today. Today was, was the first time you saw it. Wow. Yes. You know, as we cover these Italian horror directors, these are the first times I'm seeing them. It's just that they're so, like, in my conscious at all times as a horror fan that I thought I had already seen them. This is one of those things that I've seen clips from. And, of course, I had seen the imagery before, like the needles taped onto the eyelids and stuff. That's so uh, famous in the, if you're a horror fan. But I had never seen it until today. I wanted to to cover this for our Argento series purely because I wanted to bridge the gap in between our 70s coverage and our 90s coverage. And this looked super interesting to me. Just like from the stills that I was seeing, it looked beautiful, and I was not let down. Yeah, absolutely. So 
All righty. I saw this first on VHS back late 80s sometime, and I rewatched it again when I did my run through horror movies from 1987, but <clears throat> did not get a chance to fully rewatch again till this morning. Let's start with the plot and the screenplay. Okay, I will go ahead and say I like this movie, but the plot to this movie is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Um, Our protagonist is Betty, uh, an opera singer and understudy who wins a part in an odd rendering of Macbeth after the star is hit by a car. So she is a smash hit, right? She's a success. Maybe not the production, but, you know, she... Her performance is is lauded, and and but then she's being stalked by a psychotic killer, who murders Betty's boyfriend in front of her in a cool looking way, but not one I'm sure that would work. Yeah. Um, but anyway, speaking of the plot, you know Betty is tied up, as you said. Her her she has needles placed in her eyes so she can't blink. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure how long you can get away with that. You can't blink. She watches this poor guy get slaughtered. And then the killer lets her go. Does she go to the police? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's face it. Does Betty make any sense to you? No, that is a flaw that I have with this movie. She says that she doesn't go to police after witnessing her. And I don't know if it's her boyfriend. I feel more like it's, it's her lover because they haven't, they haven't had sex yet. That's, that's, pretty much implied uh i i but yeah so after she sees him murdered and she's been attacked and her needles have been placed under her eyes her first thought is call 911 and then run away uh don't don't tell the police about your first-hand account that can that can help uh get the killer uh just just you know keep living in the dark you know she says that um she wants to get away from it all she wants to forget But, like, what sense does that make? The killer is still out there. You could be helping the police find him, and instead you're like... And then by the end of the movie, you understand why she needed to do that. Why, for the plot's sake. Because if she were telling uh, the police detective everything she knew about the killer, he could stay one step ahead of the rest of the police, which is an odd thing to me. Police don't really play a huge part in this. The only policeman that that plays a big role in this movie, he's a killer. Spoilers. Uh, Yes, we but, already warned you. We're spoiling, and yeah. yes, the killer in this movie is also you know one of the few police officers we meet. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for plot's sake why she doesn't go to the police, but logistically that would be your first thought, right? You don't well, you just see a killing and you're like, well, I'll just forget about whatever I've seen. No, like they're gonna find out eventually. That is really really odd. Uh, also, Betty, odd character. She wears her everyday shoes like while way- while laying in bed. There's a part where she's trying to relax yes. and she has her shoes on still, and I'm like, ugh, come on, man. I I, I kind of turned on Betty by the time that this uh, <laughs> this movie was over. She kind of toys with people and just you know whatever. But that doesn't change the fact that I love this movie. I I think I'm higher up on. I I like it more than you do. The plot is completely ridiculous, but it's an Argento movie. Of course it is. Uh, yeah. It's no, it's no different than Cat of Nine Tails, where a character we meet once just turns out to be the killer because he has some like weird genes or something. So uh, as far as Argento movies go, I don't think this plot is that bad, um, but it is it is pretty absurd. Yeah, I mean, if you're bugged by characters who do seemingly just ridiculous, stupid things, this is not the flick for you, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, there would be no movie without that. Like I said, it makes sense why he did it. But yeah, there are definitely some holes in that script. There are many holes. I mean, the director doesn't go the cops as far as we know. Um, you know, and then on top of that, we'll talk about the director's master plan for identifying the killer. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, now, I already said I like this movie, but it is bonkers. It's just mm -hmm. the simple fact is. You know, this is an excuse for a lot of cool kills, good music, um, and, and just really amazing cinematography. Yes, awesome music. I wanted to bring that up. There is a mix between orchestral music and metal music, which is awesome. I wish more movies were like that. Uh, during the kill scenes, there's just like contemporary metal music out of nowhere. Uh, and then during the opera scenes, there's some really cool orchestral stuff. But I was hooked from the start. Uh, just the way it's presented, you have this really bratty opera star who's hit by a car, and uh, then her understudy, who's who's really nervous, has to go on stage, and then one by one, the people who are in the play and people who, I guess, aren't in the play, because, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't the original Lady Macbeth killed off by the serial killer? Uh, was or did she? we just never... I no, I, I, th I don't even think we ever see her. Now, initially, I think it was somebody like... You Vanessa Redgrave or somebody was supposed to play the opera star and she was hired for a week and she never left her trailer okay. for whatever. I have no idea why. Is that I why we never see her like her face on screen? I, I guess so. I don't know what happened there. But anyway, she's, you know, look, this is again this and we've talked about this. You know, this is what the fourth Argento movie we've covered. Right, mm -hmm. we've done Cat of Nine Tails, and we've done Deep Red, and we've done Stendhal Syndrome. We had planned to do Suspiria, but just uh, ran out of time and all that kind of stuff. But, but, I mean, and so, let's face it. One thing we've had is we haven't had a lot of long episodes no. talking about Argento movies. Because you and can't really a, recount the plot. It, it doesn't really make much sense. You can't it takes five it. minutes to, to recount the plot. I mean, you yeah. can do the entire plot and screenplay in five minutes. And you can talk about holes in it for five hours. We don't want to do that, but because so far we've actually liked these movies despite the, that fact, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's a lot like, I mean, these Argento movies are a lot like slasher movies in a way. I mean, they're more straightforward, giallo, like kind of crime thriller than a slasher movie would be. But they play out the same as a slasher. You don't really care about a lot of the characters. It's a device to get from kill to kill, basically. The plot j is just moving you from kill to kill. Uh, that That's the whole point of it. And I kind of respect that. One of the things that uh, that reminds me of this movie, one of the movies that I think inspired this movie was Blood and Black Lace, a Bava film, yes. uh, which I love. I mean, first of all, the killer has a featureless mask and a trench coat and right. like a deep voice, which I feel like is... It's pretty much just like uh, Blood and Black Lives, but um, it's the same kind of thing where it looks really pretty. Uh, the kills are really cool. It's very stylish and innovative and kind of artsy, but the plot doesn't make much sense and you don't really care because it's not you don't expect that going in. Um, this is I mean, it's, it's a horror movie, um, but. I Like I said earlier, I actually like this plot for a couple of reasons. Uh, I thought the characters were surprisingly like better than most giallos. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to come down to the, the writing and the fact that 
the dubbing isn't awful. I think the dubbing was less distracting in this movie because everyone kind of has a distinctive voice where you can keep track of them by voice rather than like your usual affair where they all kind of sound the same. Um, But yeah, like uh, uh, Betty's boyfriend uh, has a British accent for some reason, but that made him distinctive and it fit his character for some reason. I felt like it it fit him perfectly. Um, so, and, and Daria Nicolodi has an Italian accent. I I think, I think that's what they were going for, uh, which I thought was, was really cool because you can kind of hear how she actually sounds or I assume, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't think the one thing on the dubbing I saw with the ADR I saw is that when she's performing opera, yeah, it's not great. That dubbing's not great. And and it would be that way in any movie, regardless, I feel like. Because you're not going to have your actors that are acting the whole movie also perform the operatic scenes. Uh, there's a reason why people love that, uh, that Les Mis movie but hate the, the music in it. It's because <laughs> they made the actors actually sing it. Um, uh, still one but, of my favorite jokes of all time, and it was mean. I will go ahead and put it out there. It was mean. When um, the Golden Globes, the year that Les Mis came out, and uh, gosh, what's his name? Um, Russell uh, Crowe? Uh, yeah, well, he was talking about Russell Crowe, but uh, Sasha Baron Cohen oh, yeah. was at the microphone and talked about Les Mis. And of course, it's the Golden Globe, so he's up there with a drink in his hand. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, Les Mis, you know, where they spared no expense, including $50,000 for singing lessons for Russell Crowe. And he took a drink and goes, that was money well spent. <laughs> <laughs> it's mean, but it's true. Uh, that, that movie is awful, uh, audibly. But okay, so listen, I don't know anything about opera. I had no idea what I was getting into. I've never been in a play. I've never been in an opera. I've never been to an opera as far as I know. But uh, I had just read Macbeth. And uh, I was watching for, for school. I, I didn't just, my, I don't just favorite, read Shakespeare. My favorite Shakespeare play. I love Macbeth because it is the closest thing really that Shakespeare did to a horror movie. It is. It's scary. It's dramatic. I, I liked it. But um, so I see there this operatic rendition of Macbeth and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then Lady Macbeth pulls out a gun and I was like, whoa, what is going on here? Yeah. And can I just say Macbeth with guns is a hundred times cooler. Uh, I I feel like we I need that in my life. I need to see the full version. Of this. <laughs> I always remember because I I've never been a huge fan of Romeo and Juliet. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I've always thought first of all it's been misread. Everybody reads it as a love story where I think Shakespeare was saying that no love just makes you bonkers crazy, mm-hmm. and I think that's really what he was saying with that movie. But I always wondered when I heard that was it. Boz Lerman was going to make an adaptation, a film adaptation, a modern film adaptation. Like, how are you going to? you know, do Romeo and Juliet in current day, you know, well, then you make basically, you know, the the families like rival mob bosses. And so yeah. I remember like reading through Romeo and Juliet and it was like, give me my long sword. And it's like, how is he going to do a long sword? Well, because his AR-15 is called long sword, you know, so <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. It's like, so it's like, yeah, it can be done, but you know what? Bo- Bos Lerman got all this praise for doing that. And what was it? 96, I think mm-hmm. it was when he did that Romeo and Juliet. Hey, Argento had guns in Shakespeare long before Boz Lerman, folks. Exactly. I know. Yeah, I, I would have rather seen an adaptation of Macbeth, tell you the truth. Oh, yeah. um, I think that would have been way more interesting. Um, but, but yeah, very interesting, very surprising. 
Uh, I don't think I would have enjoyed this as much if I hadn't just read Macbeth because it was fun to see uh, what their interpretation. Because this is kind of a a, a a media inside of media. There's a real play. They're kind of putting on a real opera and right. they're filming it. But they're also filming people filming the opera, which I thought was interesting. Um, but listen, I've never been in a play before, as I mentioned, but I was even getting nervous seeing all the comings and goings backstage at the opera, like during the thing, like, oh, your hair's wrong or the scar is supposed to be on the other side. I was starting to get butterflies, uh, which I think it comes really? down ultimately to the sound design. Yeah, I thought that scene was really great. Uh, I was really immersed in this movie. Uh, I know we're, we've been clowning on the on the plot holes and the script. But uh, I think it was absolutely beautiful. It, 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 the cinematography was incredible. This actually might be my favorite shot Argento movie. It's not as, as vibrant as Suspiria or as stylish as Deep Red, but I feel like it just looks so perfect. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything they could do to, to make this look any better. Shot on like really high-quality film and the accents of color are really cool. My favorite shot that I saw in the whole movie is we get this close-up on Betty's uh, tape player, and it's got, like, the the volume, you know, the waveform going up right. and down with the, the LCD screen. It looks just so cool. Like, I was like, oh, man, I wish I could make something like this. Um, I will say that I think it goes a little long. <laughs> I, I don't know if you if you feel, felt the same way, but it kind of has yeah. two endings, and it felt like the second ending was kind of unnecessary. And we're going to talk about that here in a second because uh... – couple things one about the the reveal and all that kind of stuff and also i want to talk about that the fact that argento either shot or wrote an alternative ending okay so yeah so we'll we'll talk about that but let's um let's talk about what i think most of our listeners will love about opera let's talk about uh let's talk about the kills Yes. And now I know a lot of people are going to bring up. I thought actually that most people just focus on the fact she's tied up. She's got the needles on her eyes, which, by the way, was a was a inside joke. Did you know that? No, that was produced by an inside joke. Argento would always sneak into his screenings in Rome and, and watch the audience reaction. And the one thing that would tick him off is when people would flinch from the scary scenes or the murder scenes. Mm-hmm. And so he used to joke that he was going to tape his viewers' eyes with needles or something like that to make them watch the whole movie. And he joked about that for so long, he finally put it in a movie. It worked. Every, during those scenes where her eyes are taped with the needles, I was, like, consciously thinking about blinking every single time I did it. Mm-hmm. I had to, like, I went into manual blinking mode. Uh, it definitely worked because I know you hate eye trauma, so this is probably a nightmare for you. Oh, uh, my gosh, yes. yeah, yeah Especially yeah. the profile, like, close-up shots we get of the eyeball, like, turning and moving with the needles right in front of it. Ugh, it's like something out of a Fulci movie. It's I, just so bad. Folks, I will tell you this. Listeners... Full disclosure, I have such a thing about eyes. Here's, here's the deal. I cannot put eye drops in myself. Me neither. I have to hold my eyes open let somebody else do it for me. Mm-hmm. I, I have made it to 48 years old. I turned 48 this year before I needed reading glasses, just over-the-counter reading glasses. And I know that when the next 10 years I'm going to need regular glasses, and I hate that because when, I don't know if you've ever had your eyes tested um, one of the things you have to do is they make you put your forehead mm-hmm. against the thing and, and open one of your eyes and they blow air into it. Oh, air. I hate that. I flinch 
every single time. The last time I did it, my wife literally had to hold my head against the thing to make sure I would not physically flinch. And I couldn't help it. I, I tried. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. Yeah, that's awful. I have a thing about eyes, too, that might be genetic. Yeah, I, I hate eye drops as well. It's not so much like the actual eye drop falling in your eye that bothers me. It's the buildup to it because you yes. never know when it's going to drop. Because even when somebody's controlling it and they're telling you when they're going to do it, it's always unpredictable. It's like Chinese water to torture, but way worse because there's eye Yeah, well, and here's the other thing. You're a young man. You won't learn this for a long time. But um, here's the thing. I... Um, I lived a weird life in the sense that on the one hand, I was a preacher's kid and my mom and dad, your grandparents, didn't really teach me a lot about life. Everything I learned, I basically learned on my own or through movies. Um, I did not know, even though I had seen Fletch, mm -hmm. what was involved in having your prostate checked when you're really I did not know what was involved i did not know that's what was happening yeah that was awkward anyway um that's my <laughs> eventually uh, what I, i'm always holding out hope that by the time i'm the age that i need to start getting prostate checks that they're going to invent some kind of new technology that's a little bit less you would think by 2020 yeah you know because the other day there was on the news that two planes going into LAX were complaining that somebody was in a jet pack at 3,000 feet. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, they're real jet packs now. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. That's great. Okay, it's 2020. We have jet packs, but we can't have our prostate checked by any way other than a guy sticking his jelly finger up your you-know-what. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Why can't we have, like, an ultrasound prostate check? Exactly. That would be way less invasive. Uh, uh, how anyway. did we get on this again? I don't know. <laughs> we went from eyes to butts to anyway. All right, so... Let's get back to the kills. Most of the people just focus on the eye thing. The kills, I don't think, are that inventive, with the exception that I'm shocked we don't see this more. Mm -hmm. When her agent checks the door. Yes. Oh, my gosh. My favorite kill in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the peephole kill. Yeah. She, she puts her eye up to, the, up to the eye hole, and the guy shows her her gun then puts the barrel in the, the people, and we see a close-up. Really cool shot. I don't know how they yeah. did it. It doesn't look like it's CG, and I don't even think they had the CG to do this. But it's this really cool shot of a bullet going through the peephole and then busting out the glass the other side. And then Daria Nicolodi's body falls back, and there's just this, like, hole in her head. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so cool. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. And it's shot in slow-mo. Oh, man. Awesome kill. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how more that, it seems like that would be the bullet time of the 80s. I'm surprised more people didn't copy that because it's just so cool. Um, they kind of did with Saul 2. Do you remember the part in Saul 2 where the guy? Yeah, gets and I think that was a direct ripoff of, of yeah. Of yeah, yeah, it's less cool in Saul too because we see it from a profile view instead yeah. of through the peephole, but same kind of idea, and I think that's kind of cool. Uh, but you know, that that one doesn't get talked about enough, but I think that the kill, uh, the first kill with the knife through the chin and into the mouth, you see his tongue. Oh, like and they the show the mouth. Yeah. 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 Really cool kill uh, of the, fir the first guy that gets killed. And when the costume designer gets killed, he to get that jewelry out of her, he oh, sticks the knife down her the throat. Bracelet and so yep. he goes digging with scissors he, in her throat. He performs surgery with scissors on her, and you can hear it hitting her teeth. It's like really great and gross oh. sound design. 
it, it's like he was dissecting her like a frog in anatomy class. So disgusting. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. My my only point is it wasn't. I, I'm not saying it's that. I think people remember the eye thing. That I did, mm-hmm. the, the kills are not necessarily inventive in like a Friday Thirteenth sequel kind of way, but they are gruesome. Yeah, definitely gruesome. Yeah, th- that's what I'd say. They're more disturbing than gruesome. They're not a spectacle, but they do make you cringe. Uh, I think a lot of that, like I said, comes down to the sound design, which is really, really good. Uh, they, I don't know how they got the foley for this, but but they did somehow, and it works. Um, he he, it's just it's awesome. There aren't that many kills in the movie. No. It's not uh, and, a huge body count, five or six, I think. Mm-hmm. And the final kill was very underwhelming for me, uh, the kill of the director yes. in the second ending. I was like, why did that even need to happen? I, I really don't no, I wanted like, him to live, actually. Yep, I thought he was pretty cool. I mean, his plans are a little weird. Uh, like his Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about start. that next. We will but, talk uh, about that next. I did not feel like he needed to die, and his kill could have been so much cooler. He just gets stabbed, like, that's so boring. Uh, and but the thing that really uh, disturbed me about that scene that really like threw me off is the fact that Betty is so nonchalant. I know she's acting for him and that she's an actor, but like she shows no remorse that he's dead. She's like, I'm just interested in getting out of here myself right now, uh, which was interesting. Yeah, but yeah very we, underwhelming last kill. But uh, I, I'm excited to talk about the 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 script and how it ends. Yeah, before we get to the reveal, mm-hmm. all right, the the you know. And as you said, there are two different endings. We find out who the killer is, and then later we find out why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of goes on and kind of drags it out. And in, in some ways, we get some flashbacks, some other thing. It, it's complicated. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, here's the deal. At one point, folks, if you haven't seen it, the killer breaks in to the opera house to put a bracelet in the dress in one of betty's dresses right Mm -hmm. and when he's there somehow these really smart birds were they ravens yeah i think they're they're a little bigger than crows but i wouldn't be able to tell the difference okay yeah i can't tell the difference. yeah but anyway they get out of their cage they fly around and the killer ends up killing a couple Mm -hmm. of the birds yeah which i hope they didn't actually kill but that looks really realistic yeah i hope not too i i doubt it but i but here's the other thing. So the director, and we'll talk about him in a minute when we get to the cast. Um, the director's big idea mm-hmm. is that we have an eyewitness, the birds. And so mm-hmm. his idea is at one point during the opera, because he's convinced the killer will be there, release the eyewitness birds, let them go after the killer. So, Jackson, eyewitness vengeful birds, thoughts go. Uh, interesting idea from the director. Execution could have been better. Uh, they do like kind of attack a lot the whole of crowd. Get killed. Yeah, they they well okay, yeah they the birds attack the whole crowd, but especially the killer. They swarm around him, and then he pulls out a gun and just starts shooting people. I was gonna say a couple uh, people get like, shot. Some people get yeah. trampled. And I'm like, what did you expect him to just be like, oh shucks, the bird found me. I guess I'm gonna turn myself into the police now. No, he's a killer in a crowd full of people. Very interesting tactic. Um, I, I it did not pay off at all because immediately after Betty is kidnapped by the killer, who somehow yeah, they just the all walk away. She goes back to her dressing yeah, room. She goes back to her box and goes, "Hey, it was the policeman." Yeah. Ooh. Hey, nobody's checked to see if he's been apprehended yet. <laughs> I know exactly. They just leave right after, and she leaves her dressing room unlocked. 
So stupid. Yeah, uh, that, uh, that was certainly interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever. What works, works. Gets us to the end. Uh, and again, it's it's Argento. Come on, man. Uh, he had uh, more bigger plot holes than previous movies we've talked about, but um, definitely not his, his sterling achievement, the birds pointing out the killer. Um, also, that guy never gets medical attention for his eye that's been plucked out and eaten by a raven. He just kind of stumbles around, and then he's fine, I guess. He he he's uh, asked for three weeks later. I don't know how he got. They just don't. They stuff. just don't ask a lot of questions in 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 Rome. Urgent cares. You know? I guess they, not. I guess not. It happened. Uh, yeah, interesting review. Do we do we want to talk about who the killer is? Who the birds reveal? We'll get yes. Let's talk about the reveal. All right. So, like you said, what? All right. So, shall I run this down, or do you want to run it down? Uh, you, you try, I can, I can chip in if I think of anything you've okay. forgotten, but I don't know if I could do any better than you All could. right. So we have the detective Santini, I think his name is, mm-hmm. who it turns out was Betty's mother's lover mm-hmm. when he was a young man. Yeah. And apparently Betty's mother was also a singer, a famous singer who also had some issues, shall we say, because according to him, and I understand you know, is he a reliable narrator, all that kind of stuff. But according to him, you know, he was obsessed with Betty's mother. And but she would only have sex with him if he tortured and murdered people for her. Mm-hmm. So he would do that. But then it got to the point where he resented her for it and then killed her. And then Betty becomes a star and he sees her as her reincarnation, which, by the way, she was a little girl when she was killed. That's not how the theory of reincarnation works, Dario. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so but, you know, and so he becomes obsessed with her and killing her just start. And that's our killer. Is that that accurate? Yeah. And all of this is revealed to us, by the way, in the last 25 minutes. Yes. Our only interactions with the police officer had been positive ones beforehand. Uh, we had no idea that he uh, would would be the killer. And uh, when that reveal happens, you're kind of like, okay, I guess. I, I don't understand. And one of the things I had a problem with is uh, the, the inspector, who's, by the way, a uh, pointless kind of detail that they added in the movie. His name is Alan. I don't know why they've... It, now he's credited as Alan in the, in the credits, but Inspector Alan Santini, uh, none of the other people have last names as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he looks pretty young. He doesn't look old enough to he be her. He does not. No. He does, and, and he does not look his mom, her mom's lover. He's born in 61. Right, and this is the '80s, so I'm not really sure how that works. How young is Betty? Uh, yeah, she can't be more than like 22. Mm-hmm. So that that's 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 a bit of a plot hole. Uh, and it, like but I, I agree. Said, I remember I was thinking, okay, she's early 20s. He's mm-hmm. maybe stretching it 35. Maybe, yeah. maybe he looks a little bit younger than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, we'll it, talk it about is. It is too but yeah yeah that that one didn't really work yeah um i honestly once it was revealed that he was the killer and he was going full serial killer i kind of liked his performance uh i i I didn't think he was bad it's just the way he's revealed to be the killer is it has a lot of problems has a lot of issues 
But I mean, what Giallo doesn't have issues with plot, as we've we've said over and over again. Uh, Do you have an opinion on his performance either way? Yeah, I want to talk about him in a minute when we get to the cast, because I I, I want to talk about I want to talk about to talk about. I want to talk about Santini. I want to talk about Betty and I want to talk about um uh, uh what was the director's name marco was that something like that mm-hmm. i yeah, yeah. Th- i want to talk about them but anyway all right what else with the plot because quite frankly there's i mean we can pick holes in this and have fun with it we still mm-hmm. love it but like i said there's not a lot here it's just bonkers there is a pretty cool section that we that we totally forgot about it's the okay. part where she's in her apartment and the killer's after her and this little girl who's her neighbor that's apparently been spying oh, on her yeah. uh, they climb to the vents i thought that was a really cool scene and then they hide underneath the vent as the killer goes by i thought that was pretty cool uh one of the things i didn't get is that uh they go down and they they talk to the girl's mother and the mother's just like oh you you she's she's like get out of my house which i understand but then this lady this young lady is like i'm being attacked and i need to call the police and she's like get out of my house she's sending her out where the serial killer was true but it it looked to me like she'd had a bit to drink yeah a bit yeah yeah she didn't seem in her right mind she does slap her daughter she strikes me as a day drinker uh i i just think yeah she smacks her daughter which Betty does nothing about. And, yeah, you know, but she's kinda, not going to rescue her from that abusive situation. Yeah, yeah, after she just rescued her, saved her life. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, Betty does some weird things here. I, I remember the first time I saw this. Um, is it me or was Betty the first time we meet Santini mm-hmm. when he shows up? He shows up looking like just a fan, right? He yeah. brings her a rose, says congratulations on your great performance. And she's like, oh, would you like an autograph? And he's like, yeah, I would. And I said, oh, so you're a fan. And, and then somebody calls him inspector said, oh, you're a policeman. And then she just starts treating him like crap. And I'm just like, yeah. wait a minute, what happened here? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, that whole scene was just really awkward until it's revealed that he has a bigger part in this movie than just well, being yeah, the police inspector. yeah, once you know he's a psychotic. But I yeah. mean— uh, up until that point, I'm just sitting there thinking, and I was thinking about it today, rewatching it. I was sitting here going, wait a minute. You know, it, it Argento's not really presenting her as a really likable character. And, of course, this is like the third time I've seen it. So I'm like, I know that that guy is a psycho, and he's presenting him a lot more favorably. This is weird. Yeah, definitely. He he, And he that's the thing. He seems so... Nice and af- and I guess that's that's how real serial killer you know you can't really tell but uh, well he's like a Ted Bundy type right because he's well yep. dressed he's a good looking mm-hmm. guy he's he comes across you know very pleasant you know very affable so yeah I mean I, I just thought it was weird I just thought that was kind of strange yeah there are a lot of really weird interactions in the, and and again it's Argento his way of introducing characters is quite strange. Uh, he'll just be like, and here's a character that you'll need to remember at the end of the movie. All right, bye. You're not going to see them for a while. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, we're we're clowning on this movie. I love this. It, my rating will reflect oh, that. Oh, I do too. I, here's the thing. It's fun. And here's the thing as a horror fan. Like, right, mm-hmm. Gil Manjola said this again and again. What is the cardinal sin of any horror movie, whether it's well-made or poorly made? Is it boring? Mm-hmm. Well, Argento movies, at least up until Stendhal Syndrome, they're not boring. Mm-hmm. That's first of all. Second, especially from Deep Red on, if you're a movie buff like you and I are, 
and, and we're really into cool shots and great cinematography. Argento's your your bag, baby, right? This is yes. this is yeah. Oh yeah, this movie looks great. Like I said, it's it's really really quickly paced, except for the the last that weird kind of third act structure. It, I feel like this moves along in a pretty breezy breezy pace. Yeah, I mean, we talked to Bill about this last time with Stendhal Syndrome, mm-hmm. right? You could have cut about ten minutes out of the Stendhal Syndrome, and it would have been yeah. a better movie. You could cut five to ten minutes here too. Maybe, yeah. It does get a little indulgent sometimes, perhaps with the opera scenes, the scenes where uh, where he'll just kind of swing the camera around the audience back and forth for two minutes. But, um, yeah, I thought it worked really well as a whole. I was invested well, just in like I, I, I agree. I just, like, for example, did we need, like, three minutes of the, the raven circling the crowd? Oh, yeah, there, that was pretty prolonged. And the scene where uh, yeah. where the killer breaks in to put that necklace on the on the costume, we have a lot of shots of, of ravens I, just kind of in do. the cage. Yeah, he we do. He loves those I, bird shots. I don't know what, he's know. so, like, in, invested in those. But He's got a weird thing. We've, we've talked about this animals, before. Animals, yeah. Animals, he's got a weird thing with animals, he does. Yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. So, all right, what else? Anything else with the plot before we move on to the cast? I'm ready to talk about this cast. Let's talk about the cast. All right, so we've got Christina, and I'm probably butchering her last name, uh, Marsalak. Marcinic? Close enough, man. That, that's closer than I was going to get. All right. As, as Betty. What did you think of, of, of Christina as Betty? Pretty good. Although I can't judge her performance because it, it's obviously been ADR. It's been dubbed. Uh, and again, she, she had somebody else doing her opera numbers for her. But I thought she was pretty good. She's, again, she's kind of like, uh, like Argento's daughter, Aja Argento, and that she she looks mm-hmm. really good. She looks the part. Uh, her facial acting is really good. Um, she just it's not a powerhouse performance that you're going to be blown away by. She just she's she's really convincing. She fills the role really well. Yeah. Uh, but I you know it's this isn't a an Oscar worthy role. Yeah, she's not. My problem is I don't think her character is written as sympathetically. Mm-hmm. As say Aja Argento's role in Stendhal Syndrome. Yeah, yeah, and that that may also be because Argento again it was his daughter, so he wanted to give her a really cool role. This well, is yeah. just another female uh, lead. Uh, you know, well, she's you know, look, she's. I think she's a talented actress. You know, I, I think she has talent, but apparently, because she hasn't done a whole lot, she mm-hmm. does not have a huge IMDb credit. Um, she's now the artistic director of an acting school in Madrid, which, which, you know, it could be a huge deal. That being said, um, and I, you never know, there's always two sides to a story. I get that. But Argento described her as the biggest pain in the butt he's ever worked with. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't get that, uh, from watching it, but I'm not surprised. Oh, by the way, I was just looking at her IMDb. She was born in 1963. And uh, the inspector was born in 61, making him only two years older than her. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And she's played off really young. She, she says over and over again, I'm too young for the role of Lady Macbeth. But apparently the inspector is old enough to be dating her, her yeah. mom. Yeah, that's it, That is odd. But, uh, but yeah, anyways, her role, I, I, I don't know about her. I, I had never seen her in any, anything, and I'm looking at her roles right now. She's in a movie with Tom Hanks, apparently. Yes, every uh, time we say goodbye, which, which yeah. actually was not a hit, it was a bomb. Um, 
yeah, they tried to bring her over to America. She apparently not, had done a lot of TV in Europe. Um, and so they brought her over to do a movie with Tom Hanks. Uh, my memory is they didn't get along either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she went back to Europe and, and did her career there. I, I think she's a good actress. I think she has talent. I wasn't blown away. I can't say that that's entirely her fault. Cause I said, I don't think her character was written as well as it should have been. Yeah. I agree, and that's it. It's a jealous script, you know. The characters aren't aren't usually that in, insanely likable. It's usually the little nuances to the performance that bring right. that. And she doesn't had. This is another one of those things where Argento will find a working actor, uh, somebody who is not in uh, big roles, and just pick them out of theater and TV and put them in a role to try to make them convincing, like you've never seen these people before. They're real people. But the thing that 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 you know doesn't work when it's the leading role is because they're on screen all the time they're not they can't Mm -hmm. just play that that one character they're good at so uh yeah she's not the strongest in this cast i think she is outshined by uh the rest of the the bigger roles in it though she's not a terrible actor she just kind of you know she she reads the lines that are given to her no she's obviously a talented performer but i i think i suspect it was primarily the writing um, she also may have been upset that, you know, th- yeah, she has to wear shoes in bed, but she obviously doesn't have to wear a bra when she goes outside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's kind of highlighted to an uncomfortable degree, but anyway, mm-hmm. all right. Ian Charlson as yes. Marco, the director, um, listeners who, who are film buffs will know him from Chariots of Fire mm-hmm. and Gandhi he tragically died three years after this was released. He actually found out filming this. He was in a car accident in Rome and during filming and he was taken to the hospital and he found out that he had HIV. Oh, and he died three years later from HIV. Tragic. I think he's a great actor. I mean, I, I loved him in chariots of fire. I loved him in Gandhi. I thought he was solid here. Just a really, really good actor. I agree. I thought he was really great. Uh, I don't know. There's something likable to him. He just kind of has a presence whenever he's on screen. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, his role is pretty... I mean, he's just the director of the stage play. He has no right to be as captivating. captivating. But but when he's interacting with other people, he has this kind of like sass to him almost that's really great. Yeah. Um, when he's talking to the inspector who later has significance, he's kind of, he's kind of crass with them. And, and, uh, and when he's talking to, I, is it the costume? It's one of the people in the crew and, uh, she's like, uh, you're a sadist, aren't you? Everybody who knows you tells me the same thing. And he's like, that must get rather boring for you. Uh, I thought that was great. Uh, well, he's based on Argento. Argento based him on obviously, himself. He's obviously. playing Argento, yes. He's a film director who's now directing a play. That's a it's, horror it's film director who's now yeah. doing it. Yeah. Exactly. And obviously that would be like Argento would rather, I mean, would later uh, direct plays. I know he actually did a real opera later on. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a stand-in. The same same way that Stephen King writes all of his lead characters to be Stephen King, Argento has obviously put a stand-in uh, to be him in this movie. And surprise, surprise, he's really likable because of course he would be. Yeah. Um, great performance. He just seems though. like he's just a 
he seems like an actor because the first thing I saw him in was Chariots of Fire, which I saw in the theater when I was nine years old because, you know, it was a Christian themed PG movie. So my parents, you know, took me to see it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw him in Gandhi where he plays an Episcopal minister who's supporting Gandhi's, you know, fight for equality. And, and, And I thought he was wonderful in it. And I remember seeing this movie on VHS and going, where's where's that guy gone, man? That guy was great. And I, I didn't mm-hmm. know he had died. And such a shame, you know, because he was he was pretty young. Um, and but I think just I think obviously really talented. Obviously. And a very nuanced actor. I feel like he's not big and theatrical, but he's instantly likable. And I don't remember him and Gandhi, but I do remember Chariots of Fire. Um, and yeah, he's yeah, Eric he's just... Little. Yeah, he's the guy who refuses to run on the Sabbath. He's just great. Uh, yeah. I, I do very tragic that he died, um, and yeah, forty too young. Um, he, I feel like I feel like his best roles were ahead of him. Oh, absolutely! You can you can kind of see that he had an Anthony Hopkins type quality in the sense that not that he's kind of heavy like Hopkins, but in the sense that you could tell when he got older he was going to get better for roles. sure i definitely yeah. felt like that as well yeah um yeah he he has the face of somebody who would be an, an older distinguished distinguished like actor yes he, you can you can see that like any time you had a movie role or a theater role or a tv role where you needed an older british gentleman mm-hmm. that you automatically liked or were charmed by or something like that he could do it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I, I will say though, his character Marco, not a very original name, because the past four, three oh, movies we talked know. about have all had characters oh. named Marco at some point. Yeah, we, we've talked about the, the the weird thing with Argento. You can tell Argento's just not—he doesn't care about names. You know, Carlo, Carlo, and Marco. I swear, they're in every single movie. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, but speaking of names, we have. Urbano Barberini. Which reminds me of Antonio Margheriti. Yes. We have Urbano Barberini as Santini, Inspector Santini. Um, listeners will know him from Demons, Greg mm-hmm. and Demons. Um, he's also, I mean, he hasn't, he's mostly done European stuff, but when I was looking through his IMDb page today, he was in Casino Royale with Daniel yes. Craig. He was. And uh, he was in the ever-celebrated Gore from the same year. Oh, boy. Yeah, we won't talk about Gore. 3.3 but... 3 out of 10 on IMDb, oh, baby. That is quality. Yeah. yeah, Gore. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But um, he's too young for who he's playing. But we've talked about this before, right? We talked about this with... Uh, we talked about this when we talked to Bill with the Stendhal Syndrome. Asia Argento... Great actress, great facial expressions, does a great job, way too young to be an inspector. Oh, yeah, definitely. This uh, this guy, way too young to have the backstory. Mm-hmm. But that being said, that's on that's on Dario. Definitely. His performance, though, I think is pretty good. Yeah, it is really good. He's he's kind of vanilla before the reveal that he's a serial killer. He's he's okay. Um, but when he goes full crazy and the scene where he's, he's locked the door and he's in there with Betty 
He's really creepy. He's he's almost like Joker-esque to me. He was unhinged. And uh, I love the scene where he's put gasoline everywhere and he puts the gun in her hand and he's like, shoot me. You know, he's like a little to the left. Yeah, too far. A little bit to the right. Yeah. So tense. I was like, if she fires no, that I gun, agree. the whole place is going up. Um, that, he's great. And uh, I just don't think that we needed another scene of him basically playing a mute monster in the last scene. Because uh, he has no lines other than, I didn't do it. I just wanted to set their souls free. Um, but yeah, he, yeah. He, not a very nuanced performance, but very, very impressive and very creepy. I agree. So anything else with the cast before we move on to talk about what I know that there may not be much more to say, but I know we want to say at the cinematography and the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, Daria Nicolodi, uh, she's always oh, okay. great. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this was surprisingly a really great role for her. Uh, I feel like she fills it really. She fills the the role pretty well. She's, no, she's not good. in it for very much, uh, no. but I love the energy that she brings to it. Honestly, I just watched Shock, the Bava movie, and she is way better in this than she was in Shock. Uh, well, I said in my review, I loved Shock, but in my review that she had more chemistry with a floating box cutter than with her husband uh, in the movie. <laughs> but in this, I thought she was really great. Her, her interactions with Betty. I've met people like her, so uh, yeah. I thought she... And again, she has the most memorable kill in the movie, so um, yep. a great great little role for her. Other than that, the rest of the cast was pretty much just working Italian actors in TV and, and, and little movies. Uh, I saw that uh, one of the actors... Uh, what's what's her name? Coralina Cataldi-Tassoni. Cat, Cat, what a name. Uh she was also in the Phantom of the Opera with Aja Argento, directed by Dario Argento. Wow. Um, so he worked with her again, but it seems like TV is probably her biggest medium. Other than that, not a lot of standout performances, though I don't think that there is a noticeably bad performance in the movie. No, I don't think there is. And so the cinematography, we've already said it. We'll say it yes. again. It's amazing. If you're mm -hmm. a film buff and you love great cinematography, if you're like, this is why I, you know, one of the biggest reasons I love Citizen Kane, this is one of the reasons I love The Searchers or Lawrence of Arabia or whatever, you have to love, especially Deep Red On, Argento cinematography. Yeah, and I think especially this one. There's something about it. The film just looks really, really crisp and modern. Uh, it's like if you if there weren't tape decks and uh, the 80s clothes, I would probably think this was a mid-90s movie because it just looks so good. Um, and the lighting is so great. And the scene after the first kill, when Betty is running away from the killer, she goes to the phone booth. It's raining. It's night. There, there are street lights and car, car headlights. It looks amazing. I was like, wow, this is shot so well. The lighting is perfect. Um, I was very immersed in it, honestly. Uh, I would say that there's at least one wallpaper you could get from every single one of these, uh, from every single one of these scenes. One sc one screensaver you could get for your phone because there's it. It all looks so beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not as vibrant as I said as Hesperia. The camera isn't as inventive as it is in like something like Deep Red. But I feel like um, this, it's just it's just so solid. It, you everybody can take hints from this. Um, I think filmmakers should. Yeah, he's just he does things that I think are just the average filmmaker would not think to do or would be scared to do often. Like so, for example, when we're 
quote unquote introduced to the opera star. We never see her face, but she's throwing mm-hmm. a fit. We basically get her POV shot, including her mm-hmm. back. You, you've got a tracking shot going backwards, right, from the orchestra and, and so forth in one of the opening scenes. I just remember thinking that, you know, most people wouldn't do that. That, that, that that's, a, that's a cool choice. Mm-hmm. It reminds me almost of that Michael Keaton movie. What was that movie? Birdman? Is that what that Birdman, was called? Birdman, yeah. yeah. That reminded me of that. Actually, this reminds me a lot of Birdman. It also reminds me of two other movies that I want to talk about, but uh, I'll, I'll get to that later whenever uh, we're done with this. But yeah, there are some interesting choices with camera movement, but for me, the lighting and just the quality of each shot, how it's beautifully composed and blocked, that's what sells this for me. Uh, that's that's what tells me this is an Argento movie. Uh, the editing, fine, totally serviceable. There's no parts that... that uh, I was like, wow, that is masterful. But then again, there are no parts that distract me from the cinematography. So I, I think the editing was solid. The cinematography was solid. Um, I know we're going to talk about the score eventually, but that was just really good. Um, yeah, this is just, it's an amazing movie. Yeah, let's let's talk about the soundtrack because mm-hmm. I thought it was incredible. Now, you know, anybody listening to this podcast knows I love metal. Mm-hmm. I've been a metalhead since I was... I don't know, gosh, when was Motley Crue Shout the Devil released? 83. So since I was 11, um, you know, I've been a metalhead since then. I uh, also like classical music. That's what I study to. And because I'm doing a PhD program, I'm usually studying 8 to 12 hours a day. So I usually have classical music on in the background. So I love classical. I love metal. Perfect blend here. Perfect yeah. I agree. I bet you would love classical metal or like orchestral metal. That, are you into Evanescence, Dad? I do like some. Oh, okay. Some Evanescence. You know what? It depends. Sometimes I think it's too over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, because ironically, most of the metal music I like. I, okay, I do like Rush. I do like Iron Maiden. But... You know, so they have those, and and Led Zeppelin had those eight-minute songs and all that kind of stuff. But typically, my go-to, like, metal song is like a three, three-and-a-half-minute kind of harmony-based, you know, it's got a great melody with a great riff. So think like, you know, Back in Black, think like Paradise City, think like that. Those tend to be what what I love. But... Here, I think it works really well. Now, the metal bands who play in this, Norden mm-hmm. Saint, and I forget the other one, Steal Something. But anyway, you know, they they kind of sound to me like almost uh, Motorhead tribute bands. Yeah. However, that being said, for the scenes they're in, they work. Mm-hmm. I agree. I definitely agree. Now, the lyrics were a little cringy. Uh, if you pay attention oh, yeah. to the lyrics, uh, you can't escape, you know, whatever. It, it's a little on the nose, but it added to the atmosphere, I think. This is a very 80s movie. Uh, oh, I, I, it's it's the, the most 80s. I haven't seen Tenebrae in a while, but this may be the most 80s Argento movie. Um but uh, Phenomenon is a little, it's, it's, it's pretty 80s. Sure. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... But yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, I, I, you know what? I, I think that more movies should have metal, more horror movies specifically should have metal music. We did a whole Patreon episode on this, so I'll take what I can get. Absolutely. I agree. And I thought that, look, I'm not, I'm not a huge opera fan. I tend to like 
you know, more, I, I tend to like more of symphonies, Mozart, so forth when I'm mm-hmm. studying, but, but no, I, I thought the soundtrack was great. Um, is it Goblin Suspiria level? No. Right? No, but it's, it's up there, I think. Goblin should have done this. If, I guess they, this is one of the parts where they were broken up, because they, Goblin breaks up more than, uh, most teen romances, you know, but, uh, <laughs> And, and it's always different people. We talked about this on another episode. I can't remember which. But it, every single time you see a Goblin soundtrack, it's different people. It's like Goblin just comes and goes. It's just, oh, yeah. It's just like a, a title, basically. It's um, like mid-90s to mid-aughts Guns N' Roses. You, other yeah. than Axl Rose, you never knew who was going to be in it. So, yeah. yeah. So, basically, that was the Guns N' Roses band. I mean, the Axl Rose band. It wasn't, there was no guns. It was just Rose. Hey, he coined the term. So, it's his, his name, his title. I guess so. Velvet Revolver was more Guns N' Roses than than 2000s Guns N' Roses. Oh no, 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 no! You really do. You think Chinese democracy is better than Velvet? That yeah. you you serious? Okay, all right. There's no arguing with it. You're a One, fan. One because even Slash and Duff and Matt Sorum have all admitted Axl Rose is quote unquote. I'm quoting author of them, the greatest rock and roll frontman ever. They Freddie all Mercury? say. They think he's better. They think he's more charismatic. They think he's a better singer. Well, he does have a five octave range, for goodness sakes. I mean, so the guy, the guy nails it. And so, <clears throat> and he's even Slash at the height of when Slash wanted to kill him, still said yeah. he's, a, he's one of the greatest performers, one of the greatest songwriters ever, period. And I mean, they, they, that's coming from Slash. So, um, no, I, th- I thought it was better. Um, and I saw the Chinese Democracy Tour and they were amazing live. Absolutely amazing. I, I mean, hate Chinese democracy. Had, I love Chinese democracy. You had Brain on drums from Primus. You had Tommy Stinson from The Replacements on bass. You had Buckethead on lead guitar. Mate, dude, listen to the guitar solo on Better. Buckethead's guitar solo is amazing. But you have to admit, it is the worst Guns N' Roses album other than the Spaghetti Incident. First of all, there is no such thing as a bad Guns N' Roses album. It's the worst. Uh... Okay, so opera. That's like saying, you know, I, 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 I'm just saying, all right, spaghetti incident, Chinese market. If you're saying that's the worst, that's like saying, you know, winning twelve million in the lottery versus <laughs> winning fifty million in the lottery, it's all gold. It's all gold. And so let's just get that straight, okay? Uh, all right. Now, anyway, yeah, opera. Uh, did you notice the VHS tapes that Betty had in her place? No. What'd she have? There were several, but one of them was... Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Hell Night from 1981! Oh, nice. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, why? Because Argento obviously appreciates fine cinema, son. What, what, what are you talking about? Okay, yeah, I get that completely. I, I covered I, this with Greg Bench and Bill Van Vagel, and I will stick to what I said all during that episode. There are no plot holes in that movie. No plot holes at all. None. Yeah. Okay. I think Argento may have appreciated other parts than the plot in that movie because he is Argento. Uh, but yeah, okay. He's got good taste. I think that he should have taken the opportunity to plug his earlier work, sort of like Bava did and and Hatchet for the Honeymoon when Black Sabbath was playing on the TV. But uh, y- you know what? Whatever. He's, she's got good taste. Exactly. So. The alternative ending. Do you want to hear about the alternative yes, ending? Please. All right. The alternative ending that Argento wrote, I'm not sure if he shot or not. I could not find any trivia that said whether or not he shot it. 
right, we do have that after poor Marco is is stabbed pretty unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. We do have Betty walk off with the killer Santini, yeah. pretending to be in love with him and everything's okay until she whacks him in the head with a rock. In the alternative ending, no, she decides she's in love with him and they go off together. Bad, bad ending. I like the ending we got better. Uh, we got a better version of that in Stendhal Syndrome. I, I really don't think we, we would have needed this. Uh, and it had no buildup. If, if that would have been the case, it would have been a total turn in her character. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. But then again, she breaks in the end, right? I mean, she's completely broken when she's like climbing. First of all, let's talk about, let's talk about, I guess they're still in Italy. You mm-hmm. know, let's talk about the Italian first responders. Yeah. Um, they take the killer away. Mm-hmm. But the victim, who's just been traumatized, <laughs> yeah. uh, they leave her to crawl through the grass. Yeah, and play and, with lizards. And mutter, insects, leaves. Yeah. It's like, nobody's taking care of this poor person who was traumatized. She's a victim. Yeah, I mean, I, she's probably fine. She's just taking a nap in the grass. Just, uh-huh. uh, yeah, she definitely does break. But I, I don't think she would go so far as to become a, a serial killer or uh, comply with a, a serial killer like her mom did. I feel like that would be a little far um, I'm glad that he went with the ending he went with. I honestly think it could have ended with killer's bo- the killer's body burning in the in the opera house. That would have been cooler than oh, it was a mannequin. Well, because you set up for a sequel then with her, your true fan of the opera, right? I, I guess so. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I well, was Argento's like, always thinking about trilogies and sequels. And yeah, stuff. I was thinking. That, so. I was thinking more like end it definitively like Halloween 2 kill off Michael Myers burn his body that would have been cooler uh, but I guess you could have had him come back to, as a scarred killer exactly so alright well what else do you want to talk about with opera before we move on to our rating and recommendation uh okay this movie I don't know if you got this either do you remember a movie from the 80s called Stage Fright, otherwise known as Aquarius or Bloody yes, Bird? Yes, I do. The opera, the uh, owl-headed uh, killer, yeah. Yeah. This reminded me a lot of that, just a better version of that. Uh, because I, remember I that, like that movie, though. I like Stage Fright. It's fun. It is not a masterpiece by any means. I went back and looked at my Letterboxd review because I remember watching that. It was a lot of fun, but that movie was absolutely bonkers, and none of the characters were likable. But, uh, yeah, that reminded me a lot of this. Um, I feel like, I, I'm not sure that that inspired this, because they're on two different planes of quality, uh, but I feel like this, mixed with Blood and Black Lace, definitely had a hand in how opera turned out. Um, because those are both very similar movies, especially Blood and Black Lace. Like I said, the killer is pretty much... Uh, you, you know, in in aesthetics, pretty much the same, and uh, you have not. It's it's a fashion show with blood and black lace. They're models rather than opera singers, right. but it's basically the same kind of thing. Um, great movie, by the way. I know you've been binge watching movie. Bava. Great movie. Yes, I, I can't wait to make that YouTube video. Twelve Bava movies in a week. Uh, that was something. Wow. But, but yeah, blood and black lace. Watch that on Prime. Really great movie. If you want to see the beginnings of the of the giallo uh, genre and even the slasher genre, because there are hints there. It's it's basically Absolutely. a slasher. Absolutely. Um, check out blood and black lace. But but yeah, I feel like Aquarius or Stage Fright or Bloody Bird. That movie has so many names, and blood and black lace inspired this movie a lot. 
Um, but I also feel like this is a return for Argento to that just straight up crime uh, type movie where nothing supernatural for the most part is going on. This is just a serial killer story and he uses guns and knives. There, n- there's no uh, like supernatural aspects to it. This is a true return to the giallo as originally defined as those like kind of pulp crime uh, uh, I agree. Things. I absolutely so I appreciated that. Uh, I think by the time that we get to Stenhall, it was time for some supernatural stuff. But um, I, I really did like this. I thought the killer was really, really brutal. Um, the kills, while some of them were underwhelming, I think the ones that are cool are really cool and disturbing yep. and they make you kind of wince. Yep. And uh, acting overall pretty good. I agree. I agree. So what is your rating and recommendation for opera? Listen, I'm coming in higher on this than I did with anything else in the series, I think. Wow. Because it just, it moved me. It works so well as a whole. Even Deep Red. Yeah, well, okay, I think it might be on the same level as Deep Red. Uh, wow. I'm coming in 9 out of 10 on this one. Wow. Yeah, I, I would say this is like four and a half stars on Letterboxd. 9 out of 10, I think this is a really good movie. Uh, I have not revisited the other 80s Argento movies. I have seen Tenebrae. I haven't seen Phenomenon all the way through, but I, I, I haven't revisited the other 80s Argento movies. But I feel like this might be my favorite from that decade. I think that and Deep Red are on the same level. Um, and I thought it was a really amazing movie. You can see it on, on Amazon. It's streaming there on Prime. Um, I wish this was on uh, this was on Shudder. I don't know that it is. Is it on Shudder? Okay, I didn't see it there when I checked, but I might have spelled something wrong. But uh, I would definitely recommend that you stream this, especially you know if you if you are looking for a way to get into Argento, but maybe you don't like older movies. You want something a little bit more modern, something closer to like the '90s scream style movies. I would recommend this because it looks really modern, but it plays out. It's got that same heart of those classic uh, Argento giallas. And I'm looking up right now up on Shutter to make sure I'm not telling people wrong. Nope, no longer on Shutter. You're right, it, but it is on. It is on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So I, I I would recommend even if you don't have Amazon Prime, I recommend you rent it because I think it's worth it. It's a really great movie. Nine out of ten. That's where I stand. How about you? I'm not far behind you. I've, I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. Um, and I do call it a buy or at least a rental because I'll watch it again. I've seen it three times. I'll watch it again. So I really liked it. It is high up there. It's not as high as Deep Red or Suspiria for me, mm-hmm. but it's up there. Uh, it, it's above Inferno and Tenebrae, which I love. It's it's slightly above Phenomena, which I love. Um, so it's no, it's definitely up there, and I definitely recommend people check it out. So. Before we discuss what is coming up next, we want to thank our Patreons again. You can become one yourself for only $2.50 a month. Uh, We produce bonus episodes uh, for our Patreons, and you can help choose what movies we cover and even be on as a guest if you like. But are you excited for what we got coming up next? We got special guests returning. Extremely. So, returning special guest. He's been on several times. And a double feature to boot. Mm Mm-hmm. Dave Dr. Shock Becker will be on to discuss the original Nosferatu from 1922, which you can find on Amazon Prime, and Shadow of the Vampire from 2000, and good luck finding it anywhere. Yeah, it's wiped (laughs) off the face of the earth. I don't know what happened to that. I know, because at one time it was on Shudder, it was on Amazon Prime, it was on Tubi, Mm -hmm. and then it just disappeared. 
I I ended up breaking down and because I haven't seen it in a few years. I bought uh, it's not on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. You cannot find Shadow of the Vampire on Blu-ray. So I got I paid twenty bucks for a um, DVD, and so it came in the mail this weekend. Can't wait to to rewatch it, and can't wait to have Dave Doctor Shock back around. We always love having him on, don't we, Bub? Yes, he is honestly my most inspired. Like he inspires me so much, and of course, he sent me a giant box of Blu-ray and DVDs of of foreign films. And that has expanded my mind so much. That guy's a legend. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so be sure to check out uh, Nosferatu, which you can find on Amazon Prime. You guys all find it on YouTube, and you can find like probably about a third of Shadow of the Vampire on YouTube and clips mm-hmm. and stuff. You can definitely get a feel for it. Of course, Shadow of the Vampire is about the making of Nosferatu. Kind of, but we'll yeah. talk about that when we get to it. You can find us online at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and on Twitter as at fathersonhorror. And we have a closed Facebook group as well. Where can they find you online, buddy? On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore hero 12. That's K A I N E underscore hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. Like I said, just I just did 12 Bava movies, 12 Mario Bava reviews uh, for my 2020 Bava Thon. Next year, for my 2021 Bava Thon, Lamberto Bava. So look forward to that. Um, but yeah, there also you can go. find my YouTube channel. That's Kane Hero, one word. And uh, yeah, just thanks for checking me out. All right. And then you can find me as Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. So, we're wrapping up our Argento tribute. Happy 80th, Maestro. We appreciate you. All right, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember to share this podcast with your friends, because if you don't, we'll release the birds. (laughs) The the vengeful eyewitness birds. Vindictive. Until next time, folks, remember that the family that watches horror together slays together. See you next time.